Hey everyone, just a quick note before we get started that this episode ended up being split into two parts. So this part will end a little bit abruptly and then part two will pick up uh, right at the start of the defensive awards and that'll be coming out sometime, I don't know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, sometime in the next few days. So keep a lookout for part two after this one comes out. But until then, I hope you all enjoy part one of our 2023 season awards. Hello and welcome to another episode of Read and React. I'm Ben Ladner and joining me on the other line is John Sauber. How you doing, man? A little bit better. Uh, you know, a little under the weather for a few days, but we're, we're coming back. Uh, very um, excited, scared to record this episode. It almost never ends well. <laughs> Usually you and I get actually mad at each other at one point during this episode um, I think last year's we might have made it through without that happening. I think we did, yeah. Uh, but it was the first time that we made it through without that happening. Uh, we'll see. I don't. I'm not. Yeah, I'm we're going to shoot for a repeat of that. We're <laughs> yeah, going to try to keep things as as uncontentious as possible. I'm there are not three optimistic. days. There are three days left in the NBA season. I can't believe this. It's wild. And and like and by the way, the reason. I, Spoiler alert, we're doing the awards episode. I don't know if we said that already, but it's probably going to be in the episode title. So people, yeah, yeah, unless this is auto playing on people's podcast True. feeds, they probably know by this point. The reason we're doing this now is because the season's over. Nothing can meaningfully change these awards at this point, um, especially like the MVP award. All of the teams involved, uh, all by all, I mean, two uh, are locked into their seeds, should not be playing their best players the rest of the way. There's no reason to. Uh, maybe you can make the argument that the Nuggets should play Jokic because he looked a little out of sorts against the Rockets, but um, it yeah, has back no from the calf strain. Yeah, and has no impact on uh, on this award or anything like that. Yeah, I think we should just get right into it with uh, with the most valuable player. I don't, I don't see. I mean, unless you want to start somewhere else, that feels like the most likely. Oh, I thought we were going to start at most improved player since we both yeah. did a lot of research on that one. Yeah, that feels like the most likely or uh, the most. Uh, reasonable starting point here um yeah yeah uh i well let's let's do this first let's let's lay out any criteria or sort yeah, of yeah. philosophy that that guided us as because i i actually think like this this could make a, a maybe a meaningful difference in who each of us picks like depending on kind of what we view the purpose yes. of this award as yes. and like the lens through which we're looking at it um that that can influence our ultimate conclusion just as much as our actual perception of the players yeah my the goal for me is to um find the best player that had the best season right interesting like i you know that we've talked a lot about narrative stuff and everything um maybe it's a tiebreaker for me Uh, i don't know uh you'll understand why i say i don't know in a second um i don't know what those criteria are for a tiebreaker or anything like that Uh, i do think that being said, I I think it's okay to value the historical perspective of things. Um, I think it's okay to value this how you want to value it because they leave it nebulous for a reason. Um, we've had a lot of discussion about that in the past. I think I was critical of that in the past, right? And um, I don't know. I think a lot of people have come around more on that line of thinking, right? Like it's probably not just me. I, I think you have a little bit too, like of it being okay to care about what it means historically uh what it means um legacy wise for people yeah. and what it means. I think it's okay, like, but I personally don't take that approach. Yeah, and that's fine. Yeah. Like that's that's exactly what I'm saying. Uh 
like I said, they may be a tiebreaker for me. I don't know. I, I think we'll find out what the tiebreakers are here in a second. So when you say the best player who had the best season, how are you defining best? The player that most impacted winning and did so on an individual level without assistance from others, you know, on a basically if you put that player in a vacuum, you know, did they have the best season essentially? So here we find our first uh, philosophical divergence because one of my criteria here is that I am not evaluating these players in a vacuum. I'm I'm looking at them in the context in which they actually play in reality. Like it because to, to me, a player's individual production and their their value is sort of inextricably linked to the environment in which they play. There's no real way to separate those two things to me. So like, you know, might someone put up better or worse numbers or be more or less valuable in a different system with a different coach, a different cast of teammates? Sure. But like, I'm really only concerned with what they did in their current context this season. And I think that will be um, an important factor when we talk about, uh, you mentioned the defense. I think that's like, well, I'll just say like Nikola Jokic's defense is sort of an example of where this shows up um, because I'm not necessarily looking at, well, how would Jokic defend in an average system or a random system with you know a normally distributed defensive personnel around him i'm looking at how does he hold up in the current denver nuggets defensive system so i, I think that's maybe a, a difference that we have uh philosophically I, but you know the rest of it is pretty much in line with you i'm looking at which player contributed the most total value to his team and by that i mean which player influenced his team's chances of winning the most so if, so if you take you know you say so-and-so added 5% win probability. You know, this is obviously a subjective measurement in my own head, but, you know, in this particular game, they added X amount of win probability, you know, and then you add up all of the games, which players total would be highest. That's kind of the, there's no formula for that, but that's that's sort of the essence of my approach here when I'm talking about contributing value and, you know, on the court play, irrespective of uh, team record place in the standings. And I don't think like record and standing, I mean, the guys we're going to talk about for the, who are actual contenders to win the MVP, their teams have good records. They are high in the standings. There's not a Russell Westbrook situation um, where it's like the team's kind of mediocre, but the player's good. You have to say, well, can a player from this seed win the MVP? Like, I don't think we really have to do that this year because all of these guys are on pretty good teams. Um, I'm not looking at past regular seasons or playoffs. I'm not taking into account historical precedent. Um, I'm not trying to project forward and say, how are guys going to play in the playoffs? And, you know, is is my vote going to look bad if so-and-so flounders in the playoffs or whatever? Again, it's just confined to this regular season. What happened in 2022-23 during the 82-game season that occurred? Um, availability is important because part of providing value to me is being on the court to provide that value. That doesn't make a huge difference with maybe one exception kind of lower down on my ballot. But in terms of the top two, that's not really going to come into play. Um, and then I'll also just say, this isn't a ranking of the best players in the league or who I'd want if I were building a team or anything other than what I laid out in, in the, you know, the, the, the definition that I talked about, the just contributing value. That's, that's all it is. It's just what happened this season. It's not player rankings. It's not, um, who I would want, who I think is better. I'm also not interested, um, in, in the identity politics or the uh, the general discourse of the MVP race. I, I don't want anything to do with that. I just want to talk about these guys as basketball players. You want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, it's up to you. I have a tie at the top. A tie? I couldn't make a decision. Amazing. I almost ended in a tie, too. This was a really hard decision. Because... Well, so let's say, first of all, you alluded to this earlier, but we agree that there are only two candidates here, right? 
Yes, Giannis is not a candidate for this. Uh, Giannis, in fact, was closer to fourth than second for me. I had Giannis Um, in his own tier at three. Like I thought Giannis was just a clear cut three. That's it. I'm going to run through my whole ballot real quick. One and two are Embiid and Jokic. Uh, Giannis is three. Uh, SGA is four. Jason Tatum is five. Um, This, it's an impossible debate because the strides. So I picked Embiid last year, right? When and he's having a significantly better year this year. the strides he's made offensively have closed that gap. Uh, but at the same time, you mentioned like the performance related stuff, like the, the nuggets offense remains like all time. Great. Right. Like it is, um, you know, one of the best we've ever seen. That being said, the Sixers offense up with Embiid on the court, I believe would be first this season. I haven't checked the numbers lately. Um, but with, you know, when he's on the court, it would be the number one offense in the NBA that matters, right? Like it, it, it's tough to differentiate between, uh, I'm assuming you have Jokic at one, by the way. Um, but the the defense is is difficult because, like you said, and I think it's it's fair at this point, like because this is about what happened. And when I say evaluating these guys in a vacuum, um, I don't necessarily mean translating them to other teams. I mean in like without any other circ- like from a resume standpoint, looking at what they've done, right? Sure. Like, uh, not being like, oh, is you know Aaron Gordon helping here? Whatever. Like I'm trying to evaluate just what they did. And yeah. see, and, and I'll just say for me, like I'm sort of taking into account that Aaron Gordon does play for the Nuggets. He is part of that environment. And so it's just like that's just sort of a fact of the reality of the situation. And I'm not trying to say, well, how would it look like if Aaron Gordon weren't there? Yeah, because again, I just think that's it becomes too complex. But sorry, continue. The the thing that I kept coming back to, the reason it ended in a tie is because of the offensive improvement of Embiid and frankly the defensive improvement. Um, I don't know that Jokic is better than he was last year. I think you may disagree with that. I think a lot of people might disagree with that, but I think he's taken a step back as a defender, uh, especially over the last three or four months. Like he's, there are nights where he is atrocious. Like he is the reason they lose, right? Like that is happening now. Um, and I don't think it happened, you know, either the last two seasons, if it did, it didn't happen nearly as often. Um, but I, the thing I keep coming back to is, and I, I try to avoid this, but Embiid's a better player than Nicole Jokic is. You know, I, I don't I, I don't it's not an argument to me anymore uh, I, I think he's a tier above him as a player uh, but he did not have the same season that Jokic did um, and that's where I, I get to this crossroads of uh, why I don't know what a type what the tiebreaker should be um, I don't know what I'm supposed to point to um, honestly like it sounds dumb but the fairness thing and the or the historical thing like kind of makes sense in this regard it's like well are we going to look back on history and be like, oh man, Embiid probably should have won one of those three? I think we might, right? Like, and you know, I maybe that's the tiebreaker, right? Maybe that's why Embiid is should be winning this, um, because it is a three-year stretch, unlike you know pretty much any we've ever seen from him, uh, and you know, and uh, for him not to get an MVP out of three, not just MVP caliber, but like high-end, like surefire MVPs, most other years type yeah. of seasons. Uh, it would be brutal. Um, now I I kind of think he's gonna win it, which will be nice. I think that like even if I had Jokic at one, I think it's kind of a nice outcome that Embiid ends up winning it, just because it kind of uh balances things out a little bit, right? Like it it feels, and I know this is not basketball related, which makes it tough because I'm not this person with this kind of stuff, but it does feel right that one of them wins two and one of them wins one, right? Like it doesn't the sweep doesn't. It doesn't feel correct in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Um, with with like NBA. It's not. Anything. It's not an accurate proxy for how good they are as players. 
Yeah, right. And I think the most accurate thing, which I think maybe that is the tiebreaker then, right? Like, because the most accurate result is Jokic winning two and Embiid winning one over this yeah. three-year stretch. Um, that being said, they're both phenomenal. Um, Jokic's defense has taken enough step of a step back. Um, but the team has been better, which is tough. Like, it's it, it's it's why this was so messy. I did not nearly as much research as I usually do for this because every every turn, it be just it just clouded it more, right? Like, it didn't feel like it was helping me uh, discern this in any way. And so I kind of threw my hands up um, at the end of it. And like I said, I know I had Embiid uh, at one last year, and he's playing better this year, and I think Jokic is playing worse, so why don't I have Embiid as the clear-cut one? Uh, I think I might have been wrong about last year because I was looking back at some stuff. Um, you know, I, I don't know that, but like I think I might have been. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's an impossible decision. Uh, I'm glad I don't have an actual vote because this does impact stuff, you know, for legacy and things like that. Uh, I don't. Everyone's critical of the voters. I actually am not envious of them for having to make this decision. Uh, and, you know, it's it sucks, right? Like. It would, it would, I'll say this, it's the Sixers fan in me, like, I'd be pretty disappointed if he didn't come away with one. Yeah. Uh, it would suck for a guy who is like the perfect basketball story, right? To become the idealized version of himself after not playing the sport until he was 16 and like getting this much better every year. Uh, and when I say getting better, I guess I should explain what I'm talking about here. He doesn't turn the ball over as much. He has gone from a bad too good, too great, to a to an elite passer for a big man, right? Which is not, I don't think, a trend that you and I thought was coming. But he's a legitimate elite passer for a big man. I saw Michael Pena uh, did a story, generally a really good story, on, on like how Jokic is better at preempting double teams and like making you pay in those situations and pointing out uh, the Sixers' offensive rating when Embiid is double teamed. I want to be clear that rating when Embiid is double teamed would be the highest half court offense rating of any team in the NBA. It's like 110 or something like that. Like it is unbelievable. Like he is that good, you know, at, at creating out of double teams. It's significantly worse when he shoots, by the way, which is again an indication of how good of a passer that he's become. Um yeah, I don't really I don't know, maybe I'm sure you will. I don't like feel like diving into the weeds too much on this because it feels like it does a disservice to the broader accomplishments of both of these guys to point at like, you know, the the small minutiae of all of this. Um but I do think at the end of the day, like I just couldn't decide. Uh, and I'm, yeah. I, maybe I will after you present information, uh, presumably that is pro Jokic. Maybe that'll push me in that. Uh, well, I was, direction. I was just going to say this. I was going to say that my, my information is pro both. I tried to yes. pull stats. No, no, no. no I'm sorry. Let me, let me, re, let me rephrase. That supports that. both players' candidacies. And then maybe people by the end of hearing that can decide for themselves which one they prefer. But I, I tried not to do the thing where I, I do have Jokic number one, but yeah. I tried not to do the thing where when I got to Embiid section, I was like, well, he doesn't do X, Y, Z, and Q, and which, N, by the way, as well as Jokic, and this is why I'm, you know, he's not as good. I tried to prop and beat up, while also propping Jokic up, and just saying, okay, well, I guess I'm, if I'm propping both of these guys up, I do prefer Jokic, but I still want to give Embiid some love and and appreciate him. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's fair. Like I said, the 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 I think the thing that kind of bothers me uh, more and more about this is that I think undisputably Embiid's a better player and like if you were to start a draft for a season you would take him ahead of Jokic I think so too I think he's probably the best player in the world at this very moment like as as we're yeah, speaking is, going into the playoffs that, he's yeah. the best player this is something like I've seen a lot of people and maybe this is the time to have this conversation um because we'll do top 30 but we won't do it for a, a while quite frankly um 
everyone is like, oh yeah, Giannis is the best player, but like he's not having the best season. Like, are we sure he's the best player in the world? Because like right now, I don't think he is. Right. Like if we were to do a top 30 right now, I think I would have him beat yeah. at number one. Let's let's save um, that. Let's save that. Yeah, I'll need no, to but I but that. I do think like I, I just want to say, like, I think people are being awful dismissive to immediately put Giannis there because yeah, yeah I I do agree. Like generally you want a two-way player. By the way, anyone putting Kevin Durant there is you ain't gonna make me laugh. Um, but the uh the the idea that Giannis is a part of the best player in the world, I think is incorrect. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so like I said, I do have Jokic number one. It was really hard for me. I have Jokic and Embiid in a tier by themselves. I think they both have split, pretty... of course, by Steph Curry at number two. Right. Um, I think they both have pretty airtight cases to win MVP. I lean toward Jokic because, as I've said before, I think just efficient shot creation for yourself and others, being able to drive efficient team offense is the most important skill and the most valuable skill in basketball. And you could argue that Jokic has done that at a higher level this year than anyone in NBA history ever has. Like he's in the middle of probably the best three-year offensive peak we've ever seen. He might be having the best offensive season we've ever seen. He's the best passer in the league. Um, He's by far the most efficient, maybe not by far, Kevin Durant is up there with him, but he's the most efficient high volume scorer in the league of anyone who averages, you know, 15 shots, 20 points, however you want to split it up. Um, Anyone above those thresholds, his true shooting is by far the highest. He's like 70% true shooting plus 12 relative to league average. It's just absurd. The efficiency with which this guy scores Um, as we talk about all the time, it just feels like the nuggets get easy shots and open shots on basically every possession. Um, By the way, the numbers on that 26.8 points per 75 possessions on plus 12 and a half relative true shooting. That's on the the thinking basketball database. Um, 29% usage, 41% assist rate. So just offensively, I think in a a tier by himself right now, not only compared to Embiid, but compared to Steph, Luca, Durant, anyone else you want to throw out there. I think Jokic is in a tier by himself. I mentioned this stat when we did the midseason awards. It has not gotten any less ridiculous um, between then and now. The Nuggets score 78 and a half assisted points per 100 possessions with Jokic on the court. That's 25 more than when he's off the court. That's according to pvpstats.com. Um, and for reference, among these MVP level candidates, Embiid ranks second in this group at uh, a seven point differential. So again, it, it supports this idea that the Nuggets just get easy shots all the time whenever Jokic is on the court. Um, and and that's like, of course, the the gift of, of Jokic. Also on the Thinking Basketball database, Jokic only possesses the ball 22% of the time that he's on the court. Um, for reference, Luka leads the league at 44%. So again, it's this idea that he's getting the ball, giving it up, moving without it, getting it back, pinging it around the floor, kind of creating efficient offense from all areas of the court. Um, Embiid actually is even lower at 15% time of possession, which is pretty crazy considering he leads the league in scoring. He's only possessing the ball 15% of the time. Obviously, Jokic is not a great defender. That's the big knock on him and his MVP case. I think that's a fair knock. But again, I'm kind of looking at what does he do? Like, if he were in a different defensive system, would his defensive limitations be more damaging? I think so. I think in most systems, he'd probably be more of a liability than he is in Denver. But the reality is that he plays in Denver in their defensive system. And I think Michael Malone and the front office by putting personnel around him have done a pretty good job covering up for his defensive weaknesses. So in the context in which he plays, I think he's a fine defender. I think some nights he's pretty bad. Other nights he's about average. A lot of nights he's pretty good. He's not a good rim protector. He's not a good switch defender, but he's a great rebounder. He's got great hands. 
He doesn't foul. He's in the right. His positioning is good. He's a dominant defensive rebounder, which is really helpful um, in terms of just ending possessions and, you know, stopping your opponents from getting second chances. The Nuggets, I think this is an underrated part of Jokic's defense, actually. The Nuggets allow a minuscule opponent transition rate in Jokic's minutes, partly because he's running back on defense and he tries, he puts in the effort. But that's also because we've talked about this before on the other end of the floor, the idea of these feedback loops where if you're getting stops, you're fueling your transition offense, you're creating easy easy chances. It works the other way too. And that's the case here with Jokic where because the Nuggets score on so many of their possessions with him on the court, their opponents are taking the ball out of the basket all the time. So they're never getting those easy transition opportunities. So it, in a weird way, like Jokic being so good offensively actually helps Denver's defense because they can get back on defense, set themselves. They don't have to defend in transition as often. So I, I don't know. Do you want to respond to anything in that Jokic soliloquy before I move to Embiid? No, I think I disagree a little bit about the defense. I think there's a little bit more failure than than you're saying, but I don't think it's that far off. Okay. Um, yeah, Embiid, I mean, it's pretty obvious. He's like maybe the best player in the world. Elite on both ends of the floor. Top five passing big man in the league. Gets to the foul line. Scores at all three levels. Can be a dominant defender anytime he decides that he wants to be, which I think is is less often than it has been in previous seasons. But I, I still think from time to time you see him dial it up to that elite level. That The Celtics game was a good example of that, of him just dominating on both ends of the floor. He's probably a better tough shot maker than just about anyone. Maybe Kevin Durant is the only other guy in this category. Um, I just don't think he creates easy shots at quite the same level Jokic, Steph, LeBron, Luka do. I, that was, if I had to pick a, a hair to split between Jokic and Embiid, it would be that. But like I said, he's much better defensively and he can make tough shots at a really high level. So you're not losing as much value as someone, you know, like a, I don't mean to pick on him, but like a DeMar DeRozan, you know, who's taking those tough shots, but not making them at the level that Embiid does. So we have it out there. Embiid, like I said, leading the league in scoring, 36 points per 75 possessions, again, from the Thinking Basketball database on plus 6.7 relative true shooting. That doesn't seem amazing compared to Jokic's 12 and a half or whatever it was, but plus 6.7 relative to league average true shooting is bonkers. That's insane. That's like a ridiculously efficient scoring season. And to lead the league on that kind of efficiency is just crazy. Uh, 36% usage, 23.5% assist rate on cleaning the glass. With Embiid on the floor, the Sixers outscored their opponents by over nine points per 100 possessions with, like you said, a league best or what would be a league best 121 offensive rating. Their defense is at a top five level with him on the floor, about 111 and a half. And without him, they're about an average offense and a bottom seven defense. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, so we both have Giannis at number three. Then I think that's pretty clear cut. Yeah, second not best player in the world. Even say uh, anything. Yeah, yeah, elite offensive player, elite defensive player. The reason he's not, I, I think the the one thing we should probably touch on is why he's not in the top group. It's because he's not. Uh, he's kind of been above average offensively this year. Yeah, and that's uh, not good enough. Right? And I don't think he's been the defensive player of the year candidate. I mean, people are talking about. Yeah, no, he's not. Like I, I've seen a lot of analysis around the MVP race. And, and of course, I think in the mainstream discourse, Giannis is included in this group. And the argument is a lot of sort of traditional per game stats of like, well, if you compare Giannis's points per game and his his counting stats to his MVP seasons, you know, like he's no worse. Why wouldn't he be in the MVP conversation when, you know, well, because the other guys got better and also coining counting stats aren't helpful. Exactly, exactly. And, and they don't account for the fact that when Giannis won two MVPs, he was also a defensive player of the year candidate. We didn't yes. vote for Giannis for MVP because he had the best offensive numbers. We voted for him because he had elite offensive numbers and was arguably the best defensive player in basketball. I don't think you can argue he's been the def- the best defensive player in basketball this regular season. He still can get there. Like in the playoffs, it wouldn't surprise me if he were the best defensive player. But this regular season, he hasn't been at that level. And that makes sense because it's a long season and he's probably saving himself for the playoffs. And that is totally a reasonable thing to do. But when it comes to this, it, you know, that just I think you have to hold that against him a little bit because that is such a big part of his value. Yeah, and and one thing that I, I forgot to touch on, um, there there is a favor, or there is one thing that leans in Embiid's favor that is like really intrinsic, and you can't really tell, and it goes back to like what he did against Denver and what he did against Boston. Um, like you feel what he does more, and there's, it feels like what he does can demoralize a team more easily, right? Like it's like it's like oh my god, what are we gonna do, right? Like there is a you feel his impact more. Um, I think probably in the flow of a game, if you're the opponent and like, that's the kind of thing we just can't measure, which is why I don't include it, but I do think it's true. I just don't know how to prove that. Right. Like, I don't yeah. know how to prove that, that like, oh my God, he just ruined that guy's psyche. And now he's out of sorts. Um, it, it happened. And it's, I think that's the real argument. If you want to look at like individual games, like when people want to point to the Denver game, it's like, yeah, he kind of took uh, Jokic out of his, uh, out of his environment. Right. Like in PJ Tucker helped him do that. But like offensively, like you could see that, he was demoralizing the entire team against Boston the other night. Like they won that game because Embiid scored over half their points with 52 or whatever um, because he demoralized Boston. Like every time he got 17, 18 feet away from the hoop, he was making that shot, right? Like he was automatic from that spot on the court. Um, I do think there's something to be said for that. I just don't know how much. So I didn't value it. I didn't include that and didn't include this. Didn't want it to be a tiebreaker. Before we get to four and five, do we want to spend uh, 30 to 45 minutes talking about what our MVP choices say about our personalities and worldviews? <laughs> I, think, I think we probably have to, right? Is that part of the... <laughs> I think that's a requirement that's a whenever you talk about the MVP. Yeah. Okay. No, let's let's skip that part and just move on to number four. I This was... I don't know. I felt kind of uninspired by most um, of the candidates. Same here, which is why I went with Shea at four. Yeah. And, well, and the reason for that, I'll say, is because Steph Curry missed like 30 games this year. Kevin Durant yep. missed 40 games. LeBron yep. missed 30 games. All of Steph the guys that would Steph typically would have been be in the, here. Steph would have been in the Giannis tier had he played all season. Agreed. I think. 
Agreed. Uh, maybe maybe even third. I he he might have even jumped Giannis yeah, for me. I, I think yeah. he was at that level. He just played fifty four games or whatever it is. So all the guys that would usually be in this conversation, which by the way, the fact that those three guys have been in this conversation for ten forever. years. When was the last time that three guys were all in the MVP discussion for a decade in a row? It's crazy. That's pretty wild. Anyway, none of those guys are in the discussion this year because of availability. So I went to uh, with Jason Tatum. Partly because he's he's played 73 games, which is a lot more than anyone else I considered here. It's like nine or ten more than the next closest guy who Ooh, I think was, was you didn't you didn't consider SGA for this. I did not. I was gonna wait till all NBA to get to this, but I actually came away less impressed with Shea's season after diving into some of the the numbers and looking at the other candidates at guard. I just I I was I thought he was a little closer to the not the middle of the pack, but like the the pack of elite guards than he was to like the MVP tier. That's interesting. I'll let you go first on on why Tatum and whoever you have at five. Well, I just went with Tatum because I think he, he like I said, the meaningful edge over Luca, Dame, and Jimmy Butler. Those are the other three guys I considered here um, in games played. Play, you know, just an elite two way wing who can play on or off the ball. I think that helps and hurts him. Because I, I still don't really see him as as like the primary catalyst for his team on either end of the floor. I think he's a great, productive, efficient cog in a really high-level machine. But I don't see him as like the guy that's driving Boston's success on either end of the floor. And while I think there's value in being able to fit into any environment, fit with different kinds of personnel, I think it's more valuable to be someone who can just drive your team's success on both ends or either end of the floor. And he doesn't quite do that to me, but again, he's just played a lot more than these guys, and he is still a really good, clear all NBA level player. You know, thirty points per seventy five on plus two and a half relative true shooting, not amazing, but like yeah, that's one thing that keeps getting me, and that's why I had Shea at four for yeah. And the the, Tatum, the, like, the playmaking's not quite where you want it to be for Tatum either. Like he, Jason Tatum yeah. is not the offensive player that people think he is. You talked with Embiid about feeling his impact and and his presence in the game. I get the feeling when I watch Tatum sometimes. And and maybe this is an unfair you know standard, but I, I, if we're putting him in the MVP conversation, maybe it's not. But I watch the Celtics sometimes, and and especially in close games, I'll think to myself, you know, this is a spot where LeBron or Durant or Jokic or Embiid or Giannis would really kind of take like like bend the game to their will, take control of the game, manipulate the possession, force defenses to make difficult choices that they don't want to make, and punish them for it. And I don't see Tatum do that very often. I think he takes advantage of the advantages that are created by Boston's offense really well. He's a great shooter, a solid ball handler. He can create his own shot, but he's not like... You don't feel his impact because he doesn't make those shots enough. It, mainly it's the rim pressure and the playmaking. We talked about this in the finals, but he's just not hes not getting on top of the rim and collapsing the defense in a way that allows him to make the kinds of plays that LeBron or Steph or whoever else make. Yeah, I, I think that's... Uh all valid. That's why I had him fifth. Um, part of the reason that, uh, and I, I don't like how anecdotal maybe this is, uh, that I have Shea at four is because if he weren't on that team, they would be a 20 win team, a 25 win team, right? Like there is, there is something real to his, um, the intrinsic stuff with him, right? Like now that, that that's the data backs it up by the way, 62.6% uh, true shooting. Uh, they go from, I think it is a top, like, I want to say it's like top six offense with him on the court to one of the uh, splitting nicely between Detroit and San Antonio when he's off the court offensively uh, at like 28 or 29 or something like that. 
he is he is the driver of any and all of their success. They have they have some good players and some fun players like Jalen Williams. We'll talk about him later. I'm sure is good and helpful. Josh Giddy, I think, is a league average player right now. Outside of that, there's like who else is on this team that is contributing to real high level winning, right? And and it's it's few and far between. And I think he is the sole reason for any of their success. And when you can point to it, it feels like him being accountable for 20 wins um, on a team that, again, like we all said they were tanking and we were waiting for them to shut him down because or so they could tank. And he's so good that they definitely tried to tank a couple of times, right? Like he missed like he, had, you know, health and safety, all that stuff. Like he missed some time and they're still like they still have a legitimate chance to make the playoffs. He is unbelievable. Um, I think he's one of the 10 best players in the NBA. Uh, I think the way he drives offense, I think, will be appreciated more when he gets better players around him. I think his defense will be appreciated more when he when he has better players around him. Uh, the lineup data for that stuff is is wonky with defense with guards, so I just didn't even include it in this discussion. Uh, he is. I, we talked about this. We had this discussion like three or four years ago. I said I thought he was going to be a good defensive player and showed all the tools, and like he's there, right? Like he is a good defensive player. He is helping on that end of the court. He can switch and hold his own. He's a little thin still, but like. For the position he plays, he's helping, I think, significantly uh, on defense. Um, and uh, this team is not like they're not good. They're not. They're a bad team. They are genuinely bad without Shea Gilgis Alexander and one of the worst teams in the league. And you put them on the team and and there's a significant improvement. Um, the way he drives offense, the ability to score at all three levels. Um, the I think one of my favorite things about him is the footwork when he gets into the paint, right? Like he just puts you in the spin cycle and then you're kind of hoping that you guess on the right pivot that he's going to go up because he's going to keep going until he gets that spot. He used a pivot foot like he played for Villanova, uh, basically. Um, it's, I mean, he's, he's so good. Uh, he is unbelievable. Uh, one of the best guards in the NBA. He is, I think, I the thing I have trouble with is the passing a little bit. But also sometimes guys just don't make shots, right? <laughs> like and he's got a bunch of guys on that team that don't make shots because he is creating uh, opportunities for them. He's getting double teamed. He's getting triple teamed. The defense is collapsing when he gets within 18 feet of the hoop uh, on him, and he's generating open shots and hitting guys on the perimeter. They just don't fall because the team is not good. Um, I think Mark Dagnall deserves a lot of credit for what Oklahoma City's done, but I think more than anyone, yeah. he deserves outsized, like whatever you want to call it, 85% of the credit for Oklahoma yeah. City, um, and just. I, I couldn't ignore the fact that one, I believe he's, he's he drives offense more than Tatum does, and I don't think the defensive impact, especially in the regular season, is outsized in Tatum's direction enough to outweigh what Shea does. Because we talk about like taking over a game, Shea will take over a game. Yeah, he's taken so, over plenty of games this who year. Did, who did? Remind me who he had fifth. Jason Tatum is the argument for Shea over Damian Lillard just games played. Yes. Okay. Because That's, I was gonna to me, Dame is like. He's everything Dame. you said Shea was, but he's better. Yeah, Dame would have been fourth. Okay, he played. Okay, just he played fifty-eight games. Yeah, he was fifth for me, uh, and maybe uh, and the games played is it should have disqualified him in favor yeah, and, of someone like, like Luca. But I, yeah, and we'll, he, we'll talk about this with All NBA. I, I still had Shea ahead of Dame and uh, All NBA. I consider games played less, but like I can't justify not having a guy on the MVP ballot and then not having them first team All NBA to me, right? Like yeah. I just uh, unless like there's a positional thing, sure, a, a positional constraint there. So for me. It is the, the I was going to mention Dagnall. Like it for me, I the reason I'm lower on Shea, I don't have him in this conversation, is because I feel like the Thunder are I, I are pretty strongly team based. Like I, I I disagree with you on on the 
Shea's the only thing going for them and he's driving all of the offense. I actually think it's not necessarily the talent around him, although I do like some of their talent. Like both of the Jalen Williams are good. The uh, Santa Clara one in particular. Is it Santa Clara or Santa Barbara? Santa Clara. Santa Clara. Okay. Santa Clara, Jalen uh, Williams. Man, I'm going to take the that, that victory lap later, but... Mm. Well, how about, how about when you call the other Jalen Williams bad Jalen Williams? Oh, he's bad comparatively. Okay, uh, I also don't better. think he's a rotation player, or he, I don't think he's like a starter long time. I like him. I think he's, I, yeah, I think, I he's, I think he, he might be a rotation player, but I also think like if they ever outlaw the charge, he is screwed defensively. Yeah. Uh, so at any rate, it's not as much about the Thunder's talent as much as it is about the way they play. And I, I get this sense watching Boston too, where when I watch them, it's not that, Tatum is making all of these things happen. He, he makes a lot happen. Shea makes a lot happen too. But it's not that the star is creating all of these advantages. It's that they're moving the ball. Their principles and their concepts are really sound. They have a lot of guys. The Thunder might be the most read and react team just in terms of their style of play. So unscripted. It's so improvised. It's, it's right off the cuff on almost every possession because they have a lot of high IQ guys who know how to move the ball, slash, get into the paint, drive and kick, paint to great and all these things that coaches will say, giving up a good shot to get a great shot. I think it's more the way they play that drives their success than Shea's individual brilliance. And he is brilliant. And he was on one of my all NBA teams. We'll get to that eventually. Um, But to me, as I dug through the numbers and as I compared him to some of the other elite guards in the league, I was just a little less impressed with his individual resume, um, especially with, you know, compared to guys like Dame or Steph or any of these other all NBA guards. Um, but yeah, so I, I ended up going with Dame at number five. I just want to, I mean, again, maybe I was too high on him because he hasn't played that many games. But I just want to say, again, I know I've said this all year, but like the combination of volume, efficiency, playmaking, and team production with Dame on the court, at least, is just insane. 32.5 points per 75 on plus six relative true shooting, 36 usage, 34 assist rate, 120 offensive rating with him on the floor. That's right about in line with the Mavs with Luca on the floor, the Celtics with Tatum on the floor. And I think you would agree that the Blazers have significantly worse surrounding talent than either of those teams, at least offensively. Dame, to me, Dame really is the only thing going for that Blazers offense, other than maybe Jeremy Grant sometimes. The the way he has like carried that offense into best in the league level territory with him on the court is just absurd to me. And I actually don't think he's a significantly worse defender than some of these other guys, especially Luca. I mean, if we're like, Dame might be a better offensive and defensive player than Luca, which uh, feels like kind of a crazy thing to say out loud, but I don't think it's necessarily wrong. Um, Clearly a better offensive player than Tatum, even if he's giving that back a little bit defensively by comparison, Shea, I think he's better offensively, but again, I understand if the games played was, was a factor there for me, as you get down ballot on the, on the ballot, it's not as much of a differentiator as if you're talking about the top two or three. Um, but yeah, so I, if, I just wanted to give a moment to appreciate Dame. And I'll do this when we talk about all NBA too. But like, if Dame were, if Dame played 82 games, he would be the MVP. I think that might be true. Yeah, uh, That's and I insane. think, and I think if him and Steph both played 82 games, I think Dame would still be the MVP. Hmm. I might also agree with that. I might also. I thought you'd go away on that one. No, I think uh, that's fair. All right, you want to do all NBA now? Now that we yeah, can we'll do one more one more thing on Dame, just a specific like. I think we don't talk. We talk a lot about how he can shoot from thirty five feet and how amazing it is that he has the range that he has. I don't think we talk as much or enough about the way that unlocks the Blazers' offense and the fact that you have to put two on the ball against him 
40 feet from the basket. Yes. That is insane. Like the fact that you're think, cause if you think about that, if you double Damian Lillard, let's say 35 feet from the basket, the Blazers have roughly 30 feet plus the width of the court. I don't know how many square feet that comes out to, but the Blazers have all of that space to play four on three. That, that is such an advantage for a team to have. And it is, it exists solely because Damian Lillard is on the team. That's the only reason there's no, Steph is the only guy in the league that can create that same kind of pressure on defenses. And I think because Dame isn't quite the passer that some other guys are, he's, he doesn't move without the ball the way Steph does things like that. I think sometimes we underappreciate just how impactful it is that you have to double team him 35 feet from the basket, or he'll just pull up and he'll make the shot. If you don't double team, him. right. Even if you do, sometimes he will. Yeah, he is. He'll just step he farther is, out and he'll shoot it from there. Yes. He is. Uh, I think he's my favorite player to watch in the NBA right now. So good. Um, and he's getting better. <laughs> it's crazy. He's getting better. Uh, Oh man, build a good team around him, please. Especially yeah. coming off the abdominal injury, he looks really spry. Like he's gotten up for some dumps yeah. this year, and like getting downhill. It's, it's getting so clear basket. that that injury was affecting him. I think yeah. we had the discussion about whether it did or didn't. I think it's so clear now that it did. Yeah. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All NBA. All NBA. I had three guys I considered. Well, four guys I considered unimpeachable first team all NBA level players. One of whom is on the second team because he plays the same position as another player. I did the same thing I did last year. You put them both on there. Yeah, it's to me. It's important to have the. Wait, best hang players. on, hang on. When I tried to do this in the midseason awards, you made me change it. Oh, because and because rearrange you, my team. So I'm gonna make you pick between no, no, Jokic because and you, for all because NBA. you can. You so no, no, no. I I I made you. It was for All Star, and you could only put them at the position they were eligible for. They're both eligible at forward center again. Are they actually? Yeah, they that's crazy. Are. Okay, well then I need to change my team. <laughs> this yeah. is actually good because well, I, I didn't I, feel comfortable with the forwards that I had. No, oh, I, now this makes it even. Oh no, no I don't. See, I don't want there's to do this. there's a way to do this. I think that made me feel comfortable um, because I moved some guys around as I needed to based on position. Like I have Luca as a forward on the second wow, team. Wow. Okay. Uh, I'm curious because, to see who you left off the forward line then because I thought there were six guys. Oh, that'll be interesting. 
Uh, but my first team, uh, my four four of my guys on the MVP ballot, uh, Shea, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid. Um, and then I had Donovan Mitchell uh, as the other guard. Um, he has changed the entire shape of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, he has been phenomenally efficient. He is, again, you feel him uh, a lot, right? Uh, and the, the defensive impact, I think, is there too. That is the big differentiator between him as an individual, right? Because what he's doing offensively is better and more efficient than he has in the, has done in the past. But the buy-in defensively, the impact he's had defensively, I think, raises him to this first-team level. Um, and, like, I thought about putting Dame there, but, like, games played was enough there uh, to be a differentiator. Um, and minutes on the court was enough there to be a differentiator. I don't value it as much, but when it's like that wide of a gap and like they're both playing at a pretty similar level, Dame has been better, but uh, you know, Mitchell has been like one of the three best guards in the NBA this year. Um, three or four best guards in the NBA this year. I, you know, it made it relatively easy. Second team, uh, just to run through these all quickly, and then we can have discussions about why and where um, I had Dame and Steph as my guards. I had Luca and Jason Tatum as my forwards. Tatum was the only one on my MVP ballot. Like I, there was nothing I could do. Like no one's eligible at a spot where I could have put them in position to be on. Um, and Anthony Davis as my center third team. I had James Harden and Tyrese Halliburton at guard. Um, you know, I, you look at those resumes, Halliburton, I think is above Harden uh, at this point based on what they did this year. Um, but both have had phenomenal seasons, phenomenal efficiency on a lot of volume. Halliburton dinged a little bit because they're tanking, but it's not really his fault. Um, Jimmy Butler and Kawhi at forward and, uh, Domas Sabonis at center. So our ballots shook out quite differently. I noticed you did not have, uh, LeBron James on your team or Kevin Durant. Correct. Just a games played thing or a player quality thing. I I think, uh, Jimmy Butler and Kawhi Leonard have been better than both of those guys this year. Um, they wouldn't have even been in consideration, frankly, in the Luca Jason Tatum tier. Part of that is uh, games played, but a larger part is I think Tatum uh, and Luca deserve to be there more. Um, but Butler and Kawhi have been uh, better two-way players, I think, than than either of those guys. And that, like, like I've always said, matters to me. Um, they've been phenomenal. Like if we were doing four-team All NBA, they'd both be there, right? Uh, but we're not. So yeah. So the list ends there. So. Like I said, I have four guys who I can, this is the blue tier, if if people are keeping track out there, who I considered clear, no-brainer locks. They have to be there on the first team. Or I ended up bumping in B to second team because I, I considered him a center. But if I can make him a forward, I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is that they're all on the same level. It's Steph Curry, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Nikola Jokic, and Joel Embiid. My second first team guard was Damian Lillard because, as we just said, you could argue he has been better than Steph Curry this year. And for all NBA, I'm not taking games played into account as much. I only value it insofar as I need to know that you have established an all NBA level of play, like basically that I can trust the level at which you've played this season. And as long as you've played enough for me to to see that you've established this level of play, I'm not going to ding anyone really significantly for missed games. So Steph and Dame were my my first team backcourt, which bumped Luka Doncic to the second team, where I had a really difficult time choosing my second second team guard and my two third team guards. I'll come back to that. My forwards were Giannis and I. I okay, so this is this is where I'm unclear. I have On Giannis. The first team? Okay, so I have Giannis, and then I have a tier of five guys at forward. And I think you can make a case for any of these five guys as the second first team forward. And you could make a case for any two of them as the two third team forwards. The tier I is I think it's really hard to make it for Durant. Well, so I'll just the tier is LeBron, Durant, 
Jimmy Butler, Jason Tatum, and Kawhi Leonard. But differentiating between those five guys, I I couldn't figure out how to do it. So to me, LeBron is not the offensive player. Uh, part of that shot selection, by the way, he's done this since he got back to. He's taken way too many long yeah. twos. Like I, I think he's clearly hampered by some sort of injury. Like he's or he's saving himself for the postseason now that they're kind of for sure in the playing tournament at least. Um, yeah, but well, but even as they were trying to make their run to get out of the play, yeah. and he couldn't dial it up to that level. Yeah, and but he also like. The minutes for a lot of these guys, so Durant and Kawhi, I think, are the closest in the minutes. I just think Kawhi's been better than Kevin Durant. Um, he's been asked to do more with less talent around him because that talent that was supposed to be there for the Clippers has not been good, um, has not been nearly as good as we thought it would be anyways. Um, and so they're both around like 1,700 minutes or something like that. Both have only played around 50 games. Uh, yeah. The rest of the guys, the uh, Butler and... Um, and Tatum and Luca like have both played so much more than Durant, like that he's not. That's what took him out of consideration there. And then once it's down to him and Kawhi on the kind of like, all right, they both played short minutes. Who's better? Kawhi has been one of the best defensive players in the world once again. Like whenever he turns it on, um, has been asked to do more, is required to do more, and is doing it at an incredibly high level. Whereas Durant, like he was excellent in Brooklyn, um, hasn't played nearly as much in Phoenix. And like, frankly, like the Phoenix situation is like, he's, he's taking a backseat to other guys. Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm valuing that too much, but it feels like he's not as involved as a player of this level should be. And like, and again, like not to compare it to golden state, but he's getting everything spoon fed to him. Right. Like he's not having to, like his shots are all wide open. Now they're usually wide open because he's seven feet tall and an unbelievable shooter with an amazing, uh, amazingly high release. But like, nothing he's doing is kind of difficult, right? Like it's all easy for him in large part uh, because of the surroundings. Uh, yeah. We get, this is for me where this goes to the context thing where it's like, that is the situation in which he plays and he is making the most of it. So, um, but I, I also hear what you're saying. The, the trouble for me is like, because LeBron has fallen off or has been injured or whatever you want to call it has not been peak LeBron this season. Same with Durant. There, there isn't like a clear differentiator to me. And like, you could really kind of, when you compare and contrast the strengths and weaknesses of all these guys, depending on what you value, depending on what you want to look at, you can make strong cases for any of them. And, and indeed I went back and forth between, well, you know, LeBron's clearly the better playmaker out of this group. And if playmaking is the most valuable offensive skill, then he should be on the first team maybe. And I don't think his defense has been that bad, but then Durant, plus 10 relative true shooting. So just ridiculously high efficiency volume scoring with solid playmaking thrown in and like decent defense, I think for the most part, but he's also missed most of the season or, or half the season or whatever it is. Uh, Jimmy Butler is kind of a, a compromise between that. Like he's efficient. He's more efficient than Kawhi and Tatum. Um, he's not the playmaker that LeBron is. He also doesn't have the primacy offensively. He's not, he's not the guy that's driving the success um, the same way that, LeBron and Durant, even Tatum are, you know, he's more, he plays more like a role player. Should you ding him or reward him for that? Kawhi kind of doing a better version of what Tatum does, but I don't think he's the defender that Tatum is. He's definitely not the playmaker that LeBron or Jimmy Butler is. So it's just, you, you go back and forth as I'm doing right now out loud, you go back and forth in your head between all of these guys. And I just, I don't know, part of me wants to put Jimmy Butler on the first team because he's the most balanced player of this mix, right? He has the playmaking, he has the defense, he has the, the the volume scoring, but also the efficiency. Like, there's really not a flaw you can nitpick in his game other than his lack of, of floor spacing. Um, but then you look at like Kevin Durant, and he's having one of the most efficient high volume scoring seasons ever. 
And he's a good playmaker. It's like, what do you he's even having do one here? of the most efficient high volume scoring half seasons ever? Sure. Yeah. And, and maybe that's a fair critique to say that 47 games is low. Is this going to be sustainable? Yeah. Should it be like a, I mean, I know the CBA, they're proposing the the 65 game. Not proposing. It is 65. Well, yeah. So that's what it's going to be. I think that's a dumb rule, by the way. Anyway, yeah. if you want to do it, make it like 55 or 60. Sure. Yeah. I was going to say maybe there should be a 50, 55 game threshold. Maybe 47 by the way, games what is we're not suggesting, enough to believe yeah, is all below. Yeah, his is all below like any potential threshold you would implement. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, my point is it's really it was, hard it to was decide. Easy. All these guys are in the same tier. I don't really care where they go. They're my, they're the guys after Giannis at forward. However you want to order them, they're after this Giannis. Why, Those are the forwards. This is why it was so easy to put uh, Jokic at forward for me, because everyone else is so significantly below it, and they don't have the statistical cases that you would usually have. I think for all NBA forwards. Yeah. And well, and then now, now we're getting into like, now that I know I can put Embiid on the first team, I feel like having Embiid on the first team and him represented there is more important than getting whoever would be on my third team onto the third team. So maybe I put Embiid on the first team. Help me think this, this through. Okay. If I replace Embiid as the second first team forward or the first, first, whatever, whatever go put him with Giannis. Then someone has to be my second team center. We haven't talked about center yet. Anthony Davis. I think that one's easy. I think so too. And then the third team And then team Domas center. is a deserving uh, third team center. So then you get into the issue where I don't think Sabonis is as good as any of the forwards that we just talked about. So then you're not wise, representing I the 15 best players. And I don't, resume you have to cut wise, something. I don't, you know? Resume wise, I think he is just as good as those guys this year. One, because he's played in the case of Durant. And two, because he's been a phenomenal offensive player. And you talk about like the Jokic defense stuff, like Sabonis, you talk about the, the value of ending a possession. Sabonis is also an excellent rebounder. Um, and he does so much for that offense to unlock everything they do. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I think if you're going to gonna value games played in any way, I think you have to say he's in the same tier uh, as Durant. Like Durant is just, again, he's not, he played 47 games, right? Like 47 yeah. games. And, and Sabonis played in 78 with over okay. a thousand more minutes, over a thousand more minutes. Here's That's what I'm going to do. That is, that is just for perspective. That is 20 full games, like not 20, 36 minute games. That is 20, 40 minute, 48 minute games. He's played more than Durant. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put Joel Embiid on the first team. So my first team is going to be Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, Giannis, Jokic, and Joel Embiid. I'm going to make Tatum and Jimmy Butler my second team forwards and I'm going to make LeBron and Kawhi my third team forwards. Does that sound reasonable? Yeah. Okay. And I, that's what I'm going to do. And I, I put, you know, I took LeBron off and put Luca at forward and then essentially we have the same, the, yeah. that's the difference there. So I have Luca at guard and this is a good chance to now hash out the guard lineup. Cause this was actually the hardest decision I had to make this. This was the thing I spent the most time deliberating on was was what to do. Again, I think there are three three guys I feel really comfortable with as all NBA guards. That's Steph Curry, Dame Lillard, and Luka. As much as Luka's tailed off toward the end of the season, I still think wow. he's in this conversation. Which leaves James Harden, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Donovan Mitchell, Drew Holiday, Devin Booker, Tyrese Halliburton, De'Aaron Fox, Devin Booker. Did I say him already? Yep. Jalen wow. Brunson. I said him twice. You must really want to put him on that yeah. MVP ballot. <laughs> I really like him, yeah. Yeah, I voted for him for uh, over Steph Curry for MVP last year. Um, you can only pick three of those guys. 
And that was that was the hardest dilemma I had to face. Or, or you can back four. You could, but then you'd have to bump one of the forwards, and I've already Again, decided I don't LeBron, want to do I don't think is, is I'm not problem. bumping LeBron. I don't think he's an all-NBA player this year. I think he is. I don't think he is. I'm, um, I can't do it. And you're talking to like the biggest LeBron defender here. Well, clearly not. Uh, I don't think he's an all-NBA player. I don't think he's been up to that level. The 58% true shooting really bothers me. Yeah, me too. Me too. With him, especially with the shooting uh, increase or the, the true shooting percentage increase across the league for him to get worse. I think that's... Uh, yeah. I think that's a bad sign for him. And he doesn't try on defense at all. And he like this year he hasn't anyways, like the case for LeBron being an all NBA player this year is his name. He's if there were a fourth team, he'd be on it. But the case this year is his name. I don't think it's necessarily a bad case, but I wouldn't make it. Um, and I'm surprised, frankly, that you're making it. There's no real statistical case that LeBron is better because I don't think you have to compare him to the forwards. I think you have to compare him to these guards. I, I um, want to talk about Halliburton. Because he, yeah, we will. I, I'll just say I left him off my all NBA team. And I think the reason I did that is I'm not convinced that Tyrese Halliburton is this level of player for a good team over a full season. Like I talked I about having to play enough to, for me to be convinced that you're this level of player. I, I don't know that Halliburton has quite gotten there for me, but I think if, if that weren't the case, like if I could just, if I knew that this is who he was and I were comparing him to the other all NBA guards, maybe this is unfair maybe this is not a rational way to do things but if i knew that this was who he is then i i probably would put him on the second or third team well so i think that is in total contradiction of your mvp criteria and i don't think it's a an unfair thing to say but i think in comparison to your mvp criteria i think it's unfair for you to use it essentially uh because it is in direct contradiction of like you know what i mean nothing matters but this year yeah for the mvp That's but suddenly true. it matters more for all nba um and I guess, I guess is, it's more just like how many games did he play this year? Like Halliburton, fifty six. Fifty six. Yeah. See, that's I think it was like fifty six. It was fifty six. That's kind of on the low end. But it's more than LeBron. Yeah, but uh, but again, I, like I'm comfortable knowing that LeBron is LeBron. Just say that you chose him because of his name. I, I chose him because say. he's really good. The, I mean, the argument for LeBron is that he's by far the best playmaker among that forward group. I think his no, defense. But we're, I think we're comparing it. It's not among the forwards at this point. I think it's among the guards because that's the decision you're making. Well, he's still one of the best playmakers among any of those guards. I mean, he he play makes. But like he's a guard. not. He's not the. He's not a better playmaker than Halliburton. Or at least wasn't yeah, this year. I don't know about that. Tyrese Halliburton at forty-seven point six percent. I know the assist rate. rate. I I know Halliburton's assist rate. He's got an insane assist rate. But I I don't know that that necessarily means he's been a better playmaker than LeBron. I think, and I think LeBron has been more damaging as a, a shot shot maker this year than. That's uh, the argument. It's Halliburton the individual has. efficiency. Yeah. And when their offense, uh, the Pacers' offense, when Halliburton's on the court, is like the third best offense in the NBA. Yeah, it is impressive that he got them to like a one eighteen offensive rating. Not he got them, but like he, pretty much his minutes correlated to a one eighteen offensive rating. When you know you look at who else is on the Pacers, that that right. was one of the reasons. And they, that again, I was lower they, on they Shea, had by the to way. bench him. They had to bench him. It was like Shea last year. He was so good, and or actually, it's more like what I thought they were going to do with Shea this year. He was so good that they had to get him out of games because they were going to make the plan had he played yeah. all season. Halliburton actually reminds me of Shea for a few reasons, but I actually think he's been, in some ways, he's been better than Shea this year. Shea's so much better as a defender. I agree with that. I, but offensively, I think he's been better than Shea. And I think Shea's offense has gotten maybe a little bit overrated in the way we talk about it. Um, 
I think the volume uh, for Shea as a score matters uh, here because the the usage rates like ten percent different like is pretty significant, and the uh, the true shootings are uh, like Shea has a slight edge there. They're essentially the same, but like for Shea to be have a higher true shooting percentage on a significantly higher volume um, with I would argue a, a worse team around him, you know I I think he's clearly driven that offense to more success than. Uh, Halliburton has. Okay, because I'm gonna for, bump LeBron. I'm gonna bump LeBron. You made the right decision. And I don't think there's. Make, I don't think there's a good argument for having LeBron on All NBA this year, honestly. Other than his name, I'm gonna make Luka Doncic a forward on the second team. I'm gonna make Jimmy Butler my other second team forward. I'm gonna make Jason Tatum and Kawhi Leonard my third team forwards. We now have the exact same forwards. So now I have four guard spots that I need to fill. Right, and you have two filled with Damon Steph. Correct. I think Mitchell and Shea are the other four the are the here. ones that I need to fill. I think Mitchell and Shea are clearly at the top. Here. I go back to Shea being the driver of that offense with the because no other player on this list is playing with worse talent like he is. And it's by a, like a pretty significant margin, right? Like even the Pacers, like Miles Turner is an elite defender. Buddy Heald is an elite shooter. Um, they have real talent around Halliburton, even if like there's not much depth, which yeah. I would argue there's more depth there than Oklahoma City. Shea has driven this team all the way to where they're at right now by himself. So um, the the candidates to me are Shea, Halliburton, Mitchell, James Harden, and Drew those Holiday. Those are my four for what it's worth. And Drew Holiday. And frankly, I'm inclined to go with Drew Holiday. I know you are. You're. I think that is just like a sentence that we can put on your your gravestone one day is <laughs> I'm, I'm in, inclined to go with Drew Holiday. I mean... Drew Holiday has been insane this year. I mean, his efficiency is like you'd want. Well, this it to is the be problem. Better. Like, but, well, but, it's not. It's not just want it to be better. It's like it's average. It, it's league average, right? Like, and and this is all NBA, right? For as I good know. of a defender as he is, it's at a position where it just doesn't matter as much, right? Like, it just but doesn't he's matter. So good defensively, and some yeah. of these guys are so bad defensively. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. Uh, but again, like the defensive talent around him is also helping that right like there is i'm not saying yeah. I'm, I'm not saying like drew is a bad defense like drew is one of the best defensive guards in the nba um i think i have him on my all defense team actually i did this no, yeah i do on my first team um but he is undoubtedly you know arguably this year was the best defensive guard in the nba it just doesn't matter as much right like it just doesn't matter the the offensive disparity just doesn't matter or it doesn't make up for the offensive disparity yeah. between what he's doing especially like and we saw him have really good games as a passer when like when Giannis was out and when Chris Middleton was out and he's I think pretty obviously imp- continued to improve from that standpoint but like still not as good as uh yeah as he's, Halliburton he's is. not still a not as good as creator. if he's yeah, your primary right. creator he's you're probably not having a great offense although I will say the numbers with him on the floor and Giannis off the floor this season the Bucks have had a pretty good offense so there's something happening there I think they are they have a it, I think some of that is system right they're just so they're a machine sure, in the sure. regular yeah, season yeah. I, I agree with that but but you know the fact that he can it's kind of the Tatum thing in a way he's not as efficient but he fits into everything we talked about this at the time of the trade he's shooting 38 percent whatever it is 39 percent from three this year reliable spot-up shooter semi-reliable pull-up shooter he can get downhill he doesn't get to the foul line which is that's where the efficiencies. Yes. Like that that's where he loses the efficiency. From the field, he's he's fine. It's, it's also the indicator of he's not a real primary creator because exactly. all of these guys get to the line. Yeah. Now we we talked about how he's not your primary playmaker, but like I think he's a better playmaker than Donovan Mitchell's been this year. 
I think he's. I don't agree with that. About at the level De'Aaron Fox has been this year as a playmaker. I mean, I, I don't think he's a significantly well, is, worse is, playmaker than better. any of these guys. I think he's just better than Fox. I don't. I didn't have Fox in that tier. I, I think yeah, they, I agree. I agree. My first guard out was actually Darius Garland, who I think is not getting the credit he deserves um, for the impact uh, offensively. What swayed me toward Mitchell being a first teamer again is the defense. Right, it doesn't matter as much, but when you can hit a level of being a positive asset while also driving the offense in a way that like is incredibly meaningful, right? That that matters a lot. He's like Cleveland has the number seven offense in the NBA, and uh, they didn't last year. <laughs> and there has been one change, right? Like, and he has um, pushed them to that level, um, not single handedly because Darius Garland's also been better, but. He is their best offensive player. He is the one driving the offense. He's doing it with 61.4% true shooting percentage. He doesn't turn the ball over much, only 10.3%. For someone that controls the ball as much as he does, uh, I think that's really impressive. And not just like, and uh, I, I would venture to guess that he would have one of the highest like times with the ball of, of uh, any of these guys, um, just because of the way he plays. The assist rate is good at 21.4%. The usage is still around 32%, which is around where it's at for his career. He's making and taking a ton of threes uh, from range too. We talk about Dame, the the spacing and the shape of spacing of an offense and the shape of a defense. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, I think, has that impact, right? Like Halliburton takes those shots, but like he just kind of takes them at random, and no one's getting out there on him. Donovan Mitchell, you're getting out there on him, right? You're changing the way that the the defense has to guard you. Um, that he was honestly an easy choice for first team guard for me. Same with Shea. Like I said, the success of Oklahoma city. It's tough to know how much is him and Dagnall. I tend to think it's more him than Dagnall um, because of how good he is, how good uh, he's been, how efficient he's been offensively. Um, the shots he's creating for his teammates that even though the assist rates low, like he's creating a ton of those shots that aren't going in and still managing to have them at a, at a being a, a really good offense with him on the court, despite his teammates not making shots around him. Um, the Harden and Halliburton cases are pretty similar, right? Like these are uh, guys that have defensive, deficiencies without a doubt but drive the highest levels of offense um you know Halliburton like I said they were a playoff team uh before they kind of have inconspicuously like shut him down sometimes not shut him down for other games like made sure he didn't play when they thought they could win essentially um he is an unbelievable passer creates openings all over the court finds the tiniest spaces Harden we've talked about in the past the defense is not good it's better in the playoffs because of the size that obviously doesn't matter here. The, uh, the offense is, he is having one of the best shooting seasons. I think of his career, uh, at this point, like he is, he's been unbelievable from beyond the arc The the step back has been on, um, and how much you want to, you know, give him credit for that is up to you. At the end of the day, the shots are going in and we're talking about a sort of a past tense award, right? Like this is about what happened yeah. this year. Uh, the assist rate is, is unbelievable. Uh, it's not just what he's creating for Embiid. I would actually, you know, argue that Embiid is actually creating more for Harden because of who he is when he, uh, that's why I didn't mention, by the way, the, oh, how much of this is Harden just creating shots for Embiid. Those shots are being created because teams are afraid of Embiid. Uh, Harden's getting to the rim more because he's, teams are afraid of Embiid, but he's finding guys in the corners. He's making all of the passes you would expect him to make. Um, he elevates other guys around him at an incredibly high level. I think he's the best uh, passer among the like uh, between him and Garland, he's a better passer. And when that's kind of what makes Garland who he is, I think it's tough to put Garland in ahead of him. Holiday again, he just doesn't drive enough offense um, for me to to be in this discussion, despite being you know one of the best defenders in the world. Um, and yeah, I didn't like De'Aaron Fox just didn't make the cut. Devin Booker just didn't make the cut. Like uh, to me, it was pretty cut and dry that it was 
uh, these six guards and with maybe a thought toward Shea. Okay, I'm going to go with Shea and Halliburton on my second team. I'm going to put Harden on the third team. And then... It's got to be Mitchell. He's it's been, a toss-up between Mitchell Drew and, and Mitchell. I think... I think I'm think. So, not going to pick one. It's going to be a toss-up between Drew and Mitchell, and I, you know, people can I can't pick whichever argue, one of those they like. I can't argue that because I didn't pick an MVP. Um, But uh, I do think the reasoning there for me anyways, uh, Mitchell has been good defensively, and... I don't know that him being good defensively is all that different from Holiday being elite defensively in the regular season, right? Like there is a smaller uh, return on Holiday's defense in the regular season, and Mitchell's offense kind yeah. of blows that out. Of I the just water. think I just think Drew. Maybe you're underrating Drew's offense because I don't think the no, true I, shooting I, I, is indicative of his offensive impact. I think he's a more impactful player than a league average true shooting player would suggest. Yeah, no, I, I like I said, I think he's continually improving uh, as a passer. Like, there's there's no doubt in my mind that he's a way better passer than he used to be. Um, but I think Mitchell is like also creating like more assists for Darius Garland by his existence, right? Like the the assist rate isn't as high for Mitchell, but I think there's some other stuff going on there that you can see when you watch yeah. him play, right? Like that he is spacing the floor in a way that is really impactful, and maybe Holiday isn't helping as much as you would expect from that standpoint. And by the way, I have Anthony Davis and DeMontis Sabonis as my second and third team centers, respectively. I don't think that needs a lot of explaining. Yeah, and I, I do think, like, listen, no one's ragged on Sabonis more than you and I. He's been one of the best been offensive players in the league this year. Yeah. He's been phenomenal. Honorable There's mention, a, Bam Adebayo, Brooke Lopez. And that might be all of the honorable Center's mentions. real bad. I don't even know if they're yeah. real honorable mentions. They're not in that discussion, yeah. I don't think. We're going to leave part one right there. Be sure to stay tuned for part two, which should be coming out in the next couple of days. We'll leave that up to the editing team. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, everyone stay safe, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you later. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.